just as the collection's drawing to a close, I'd like to um, make it known that you can follow along on the version app on your phone, today's message notes, so you can uh, find it as an event. And for assistance, contact Ross, because it's way too complicated for me. <laughs> but uh, please make uh, use of that great facility that's available. Also, um, want to make you aware that we are got weekly updates going out through e-news. Now, if you're missing that, please, please make a note of that on your Connect card because we want you to be informed. We want you to feel communicated with in the happenings of the church. So if you're not currently getting that, and I know some of you aren't, uh, please, please note on your connection card uh, that, that you want to subscribe to that. We want to get you included on that ASAP. And one more thing, next month we're having a Q&A night on March the 16th, that'll be in the PM, so we're looking forward to really exploring many of the questions that are on our hearts, uh, particularly in so much as how much does God control? That's the uh, space we want to dive into on that night, so it's going to be a great night, and uh, the elders are going to be inputting into that along with others, so really look forward to that being a great time together. We're going to pray and then start today's message. Thank you, God, that your word is relevant today as it's ever been. And thank you for your word in Matthew 18 today, which is going to teach us about how we can be well-placed to handle hurts before they turn into offence. And so we just ask your Holy Spirit to be our teacher. We just invite you now to come and move in such a way that we hear these words and are changed by them. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We've been over the last month or so in a series called Life Together. And today we're up to this uh, topic of dealing with offence. If you've got a Bible, you can go to Matthew 18, ready to read that in just a moment. But first, let me make an outrageous claim. I think you can grow to the point where you are offence-proof. I think your life can grow to the point where you no longer take offence, that it can get to that point over time. Now, it won't happen overnight. It's a long process. But I think that no matter what comes against us, no matter the nastiest of feedback, it is humanly possible in God to get to a stage where it doesn't turn into offence. Now, some of you might think that's the most ridiculous thing ever, in the words of Jesus, he would say, not in Matthew 8 and elsewhere, it depends where you stand as to how much impact things have on your life. Now, he said some people build on a solid rock, being his word, and therefore they have this incredible capacity that even though life throws floods and winds and rains, in other words, all sorts of drama at them, because of where they stand, they're not rattled. But then he said, on the other hand, some people build on shaky sand. They like build on the opinions of, of, of other men and women. And, and they're really, really shaky. So what Jesus is telling us is it depends how you come into community that plays a large part in what sort of experience that community will come um, bring to bear for you. If you come in with an empty cup, kind of like, fill me up. I need your affirmation. I need your encouragement. I need you to believe in me. Otherwise, I stay empty. Jesus would say, that's a, that's a terrible foundation. That's a terrible foundation. You will get offended left, right, and center. 
However, it's possible to enter into a community of people with your feet planted on the rock. That is the words of God. And then when things come against you, now don't hear me say unaffected by them. I'm not saying unaffected. Hurt, but not harmed. And there's a difference. Hurt, but not harmed. And how do we get to that point where it can be hurt, but not harmed? Well, let's first start by saying what I failed to own about myself ends up owning me. So if I come in with this huge, gigantic need for affirmation, actually, that, that will own me. That will, will derail all of my relationships. And that is building on quicksand. But it is possible for us, if we do own our true state and come in well-placed for community, that, that, I, that I can be hurt but not harmed. Because here's why. Um, hurt is what happens to me, but offence is what happens in me. Right? Did you hear the difference? Hurt is what happens to me, but offence is what happens in me. You know, it's possible for the same people here today to have the same experience, the same words said to them, even if they were the nastiest words ever, and one person goes out and has their life ruined, and one person forgives and moves on. What's the difference? Their foundation, what they planted their feet on. So we need to process hurt before it turns into offence. Now, make no mistake, if we don't, if we don't, hurts will, 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 will be destructive, will turn into offence, will turn into bitterness, and, and it will grow big and it will overtake your life, but it doesn't have to. And Jesus has given us the tools, the practicalities of, of how we can manage hurts before they turn into offence in Matthew 18. Today is really part A of a two-part Series. Next week will be the continuation of that. Next week we get to the point, today's really about what do you do when you're first hurt. Next week will be what about when you've tried to resolve something and the hurt continues and you really have no trust for that person anymore. That, that's, a, that's a different scenario. We'll get there next week. For today, Matthew 18, I want to start at verse 15, says this. If your brother or sister sins, and they will... Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. If they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. Interesting that the writer Matthew was a tax collector. He would have known how they got treated. Verse 18, Truly I tell you, whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Again, truly I tell you that if two of you on earth agree about anything they ask for, it will be done for them by my Father in heaven. Verse 24, Where two or three gather in my name, there I am with them. Now, today, before returning to the heart of our conversation, I need to pause real quick and make a comment on that final verse because that final verse we just read is probably the most misinterpreted, misquoted scripture in the entire Bible. 
And as I explain it in just a couple of minutes, hopefully you'll understand why. So let's just focus on that final verse for a sec. For where two or three gather in my name, there am I with them. What's that mean? Well, often this scripture gets used to kickstart a worship service. It's kind of like a confirmation that God is here and, and we are good to go because there's two or three of us. And it particularly gets rolled out when numbers are low. You know, you turn up to prayer meeting or something, you look around, you think, wow, there's a lot missing tonight. We better pull out that scripture. Where two or three are gathered, where God is still here. And it sort of qualifies low numbers. On most occasions, we've reached the quorum, Jesus has turned up, now we can get underway. We only had Kyle and Matthew, thankfully Gary's turned up as well. We're safe, we've got three of us here, Jesus is present. When we stop to think about that logic, we realise how flaky it is. Did Jesus need anybody else to turn up, to be present? Or isn't he present with us all by ourselves? Well, of course he is. And so to use these uh, words as some kind of a proof text that the presence of God has joined us is really, really faulty. And there's a damaging lie underneath that. And the lie is, God is only with me in public. God is not with me in private. God is only with me when I turn up at a public worship service. And that's a horrible lie, a horrific lie, because we need God more than we do just in this hour on a Sunday morning. We need God at 3 a.m. last night when we had a nightmare and we felt this tremendous fear come upon us. Can we call on God then or do we need to make sure we have two or three friends around first? No, we can call on God at any time. We don't need company The danger of this theology is we make God a Sunday God where he's he's present in the company of his people, but when I go home, I leave God at the building. Can you see the damaging lie that sits underneath that wrong theology? That's what it's not saying. So what is it saying? Well, actually, this is a scripture... As you look at context, context is your friends, people. You're going to hear me say this often. Context is your friend. Read it in context. This is about sorting out offences. This is the context of this scripture. It actually refers back to an Old Testament principle where when someone was being judged, when a fault was being sorted out, by the mouth of two or three witnesses, a matter is established. This is, this is Old Testament principle. It's being brought up. And if you, if you look close in your Bible, you'll actually see a quotation around this scripture here in Matthew. And it is a quotation from Deuteronomy 19, verse 15, where, where by this manner of process, someone can be declared guilty and we can go out and execute them on the basis of their guilt has been established by two or three witnesses. So I'm being facetious here now. But next time you have prayer and someone brings this up, maybe you should lift your head up and go, who are we stoning today? (laughs) Because that's really the context of this scripture. It's God putting his stamp upon a a judgment of of a sin. it's, It's serious, heavy stuff that we're reading about here in Matthew 18. When two or three godly people come to a conclusion and give testimony of a sin, God is saying, I put my presence on that decision. I put my stamp of approval on that. Okay, back to our question of the day. How do we keep hurts from becoming 
offenses? How do we keep hurts from becoming offenses? We need to start where Jesus does. If your brother or sister sins against you, and I said they will, that part is guaranteed. I have no trouble suggesting to you that'll happen. If it hasn't happened already, it's coming to a store near you. Sin will occur at some stage. That part's inevitable. That part we can't control, actually. Our response, we can. Okay, Jesus, what do I do when someone hurts my feelings, sins against me? I should go and tell everybody about it and get them on my side, right? Wrong. It's not the way forward, apparently. Far from it. I am to go to that person directly with a heart to reconcile with them. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. Go and point out their fault just between the two of you. This is an invitation from Jesus for us to be safe and sharp. What does the sharp bit mean? Well, go and have the discussion. Go and point out their fault. I mean, that, that's sharp in this day and age. Most people don't even want to admit there is such a thing as sin. And so to go and point somebody's sin out is, is, is very, very sharp and not just gloss over it and show grace. But there's an element of safe here. We're to do it in an honourable way. We're to keep it just between the two of us. Go. Go alone. Go in person. What do you mean, Jesus? He means don't send a text, don't send an email, don't send a Snapchat, don't send a Facebook message. Go in person. Go in person. Before social scientists could tell us that 80% of communication is body language, Jesus knew. Jesus knew. Don't try and sort stuff out over the internet. Go in person. Go. Not only is the Bible requiring us to be sharp, it's requiring us to be safe. Don't make it a public spectacle. Don't tell the world. That would create shame. When we bring sin into the public realm with a crowd, it creates shame on the person. When we involve others in the, in the gory details unnecessarily, it's not right. Don't shine the spotlight on their sin. God doesn't give me permission to do that. He doesn't give me permission to... Draw attention to the sin of others. Hey, everyone, check Larry out. Look what a goose he is. Look what he's done now. No, no, no. Jesus says, don't involve the neighbours. Don't go that way. Protect the name of the other person by keeping it on the down low. Don't use it as an opportunity to get a poor me story circulating. No, 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 no. Go in person alone. Alone. You might remember the principle I gave in my first message here from John 8. Grace in public, truth in private. Remember, Jesus was brought that immoral woman and everybody expected him to condemn her in public. He didn't. He didn't. He gives her grace in public, but when alone, he becomes sharp. He brings out the truth and he deals with where she needs to get right with God. Chances are, if you've lived a decade, and that'll be most of you in the room, I think, apart from Damien, You've heard your share of stories. You've heard your share of gossip. You've heard your share of he said, she said. You know how this goes. We don't have to live long to see this kind of interaction happen. It's part of the territory. Human beings bump into each other. This isn't a new thing for us. But churches need to be different from surrounding society. God is calling us here to be distinctive. 
in the way we handle being hurt. When Stephen comes to me and says, Bill hurt my feelings, I need to say to Stephen, my name's not Bill. My name's Jono. You're talking to the wrong person, Stephen. I think this conversation is between you and Bill. I don't need to be brought into this. I'm not meaning to sound insensitive, but this is exactly what Jesus calls us to here in Matthew 18. God is calling us away from triangular conflict where we invite a third party in to try and get them on our side. And next time Millie is upset with Shelley, she doesn't need to talk to Candace. She needs to talk to Shelley because Shelley is who she has the problem with. Don't involve me. And don't let anyone tell you the Bible's irrelevant. This is the most relevant stuff we could ever hope to talk about how to sort out issues and actually contain them and actually work through them instead of make them worse. We'll self-destruct if we ignore Jesus' counsel. A mature church is a church where people keep their nose out of things that aren't their business. And, and things that are between Bill and Barry stay between Bill and Barry and Mike doesn't get involved. That's a mature church. Let me be emphatically clear, and this sounds strong, I know. When we get involved in circular conflict, when we get involved in things that aren't our business, we are doing the devil's work. We're doing the devil's work. Now, there is 99.9% of the time where this applies. There is an exception to the rule. Now, before I even give the illustration, let me say this is not the norm. However, there is an exception to the rule when someone shouldn't go to another person alone. And that's when there's a power imbalance. Now, let me illustrate. If a 16-year-old girl is being sexually harassed by a 55-year-old man, is she being disobedient to Jesus by not going to sort that out all by herself? No way known. No way, no. We are not to put a person in a, in a vulnerable situation just to try and, you know, follow the letter of the law. We follow the spirit of the letter, right? The spirit of the letter is Jesus telling us here, maintain unity by keeping problems where they need to be kept between two individuals. However, there are certain times where it would be ridiculous to tell a 16-year-old girl to go and sort that out all by herself. Because it's a power imbalance. Sometimes we cannot go alone because it's a person of the opposite sex. Sometimes we cannot go alone because it's an unsafe person. Sometimes we cannot go alone because there's a vast age difference and it's just this, this huge, gigantic imbalance of power. There's some reasons why we can't go alone. But when we can, and most of the time we can, 99% of the time we can, we should. The ideal continues in the next part of Jesus' words here. If they listen to you, you have won them over. You've won them over. If you've ever been a part of that, it's beautiful. It's beautiful when a brother or sister is reconciled. When there's been an issue and they handle it in a mature way, that they go with the heart to restore and things get put right. It's the most beautiful thing on earth. 
It's amazing with a capital A. It's the best case scenario, and that's stating the obvious. However, what we fail to realise sometimes is there's a tonne of skill underneath that conversation. There's a tonne of prayer underneath that conversation. We don't just get into a room and just tell them what we think. No, no, no. no. We rehearse our words. We pray up. We, we go with humility. If we just get in there and say our piece, chances are we'll never talk again. And so there's so much underneath that win that's on screen there. If we go in with careless words like, you always hurt me, you never say anything nice, well, it just won't help. We need to avoid those power words like always and never and actually get to the heart of the issue. Notice what verse 15 says here. What are we out to win? Not an argument. We're out to win the person. There's a difference. And that means our strategy would reflect that. We're not aiming to get in the room and have the most words. No, no, we're out to win a person. We're out to win a relationship. We're out to win unity, not win an argument. There's a vast difference between the two. We actually might go to listen more than we speak because we want to win the person. We want to read body language. We don't just want to shut the other person down and get our view across. No, we want to win the relationship. If you do that, the speaker has demonstrated love. The speaker has demonstrated humility. The speaker has shown the person that they're trying to bring correction to, they have their best interests at heart. And you know the number one step towards that going well is entering the room saying, I haven't spoken to anyone about this. I wanted to bring it to you. That, that earns you 90% of the trust right there. Before, If that person knows that you've been around spreading rumours, you've been around telling the whole community how bad they are, that's a really, really tough place to come back from. But to start a conversation by saying, I just want you to know, I wanted to honour you, I haven't spoken to anyone else about this, but this is something that's concerning me. That, that conversation is likely to go well from there. A lot of emotional intelligence under us winning those situations and staying in relationship. Is this a 100% strike rate? Never, ever. You can do all the right things and still have a bad outcome. Only 50% of this depends on you, right? There's always 50% on the other person in every scenario. We can, we can posture ourselves in humility. We can carefully choose our words. We can be listening well. And that other person is still like, I'm done. I don't want relationship. I don't want to work at this. And you can't control that. You can only control your part. But the Bible gives us instructions how to go about that too. Treat them like an unbeliever. How do we treat an unbeliever? We love them, but our level of trust changes. They're, they're, they're kind of not treated like family anymore. But treat them like an unbeliever doesn't mean shun them, doesn't mean never speak to them again, doesn't mean be unfriendly. It just means they don't get access to my heart anymore. We'll explore that more next week. Let me close out today with this big thought. We meet someone and we go through this honeymoon period where it's like, this person's amazing. 
This is the best guy I've ever met. This is the best girl I've ever met. This is what we call falling in love in our society. Really, it's not love, though. It's like. We fall in like. Love is not something you fall into. You choose love over time by your commitments. Love is more than like. But, but we, we muddle these things in our culture and we say, wow, this, this guy's the best guy I've ever met. This girl's the best girl I've ever met. And then over time, it's like the honeymoon period ends. They hurt you. They disappoint you. They didn't turn up when they said they were going to or they didn't follow through on their words or they said something that seemed insensitive. And like becomes dislike. I can't believe I ever thought that person was nice. I mean, I've never met a more lousy person in my life. (laughs) We don't like them anymore. Like has become dislike. And can I suggest that's where most relationships end. They never go beyond that to a mature place of actually learning what love is. Until you've worked through Matthew 18 with somebody where you've had a hurt and then conversation and then reconciliation, I don't think you have the right to say you love them. You like them. They're nice people. But but you can only really say you've loved someone after you've been through that tumble process a few times with coming out with a few bumps and bruises. But that realisation is, I, I love that person. God has placed them in my life. And I choose... I recognise all of their faults, all of their shortcomings, but I choose to love them with the love of Jesus Christ. Don't, don't muddle the difference. It's fine that you like people, but don't muddle that with love. You can only ever say that when you've, when you've worked through this. And my closest friends that I stand here in 2020 are not the people that have never hurt me. In fact, they're probably the people that have hurt me the most. And yet we keep going through that process of reconciliation, of sorting stuff out, of understanding one another better, and we come to love again. We're going to close out this morning with a song, I Come to the Older, as the music team come. I wonder if you've been through that process with God. Have you felt the, 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 the God of heaven take from you the load of your sin and regrets that we're going to sing about and take them upon himself because that's what he wants to do. He wants to be reconciled with each and every one of us. And that's your invitation this morning. If you don't know what we're speaking of, please come up to us at the end of the church. We'll be, we'll be right here. We'd love to talk about what it means to be reconciled with God, to have your sins forgiven. The Bible says we've all hurt God, but, but he keeps pursuing us. He keeps pursuing us. He wants relationship. He keeps inviting us back home. Let's stand and sing this song together as we close out this morning.